Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to session 14, I believe, of the IFG tafsir. We do a fortnightly tafsir based on uh, obviously the Quran, but we try and do a business focused angle. And this is session 14. If you've never joined us before, then definitely do subscribe to our list so that you're in the loop about when these things are happening and you know when we're going live so that you can join us and benefit, inshallah. So this week, um, we are going to have Ibrahim on live shortly in about five minutes. And um, it's all about the the verse that forbids, uh, well, it talks about wine and gambling. So inshallah, we're in for a treat. But before that, I just wanted to update you guys on what we've been up to uh, at IFG this week in case you've not seen uh, this content. So the first thing that we did this week was an article on Finispia. So if you've never heard of Finispia, they're a, an app which allows you to screen uh, stocks and shares. And it basically gives you a result straight away and just says that this stock is halal or haram. Now, if you've been following us, you'll know that we talk a lot about shares and investments. And we've got our own article on uh, how to screen for halal stocks. We've got our own course on how to manually screen them. Um, but this is a kind of automated thing where you simply you type in a ticker code. So, for example, if it's, uh, I don't know, EasyJet, you'll type in EasyJet and it'll come up with a result and just tell you whether it's halal, halal or haram. So the article is a complete review of the whole thing. I give it a full test drive. And do check that out. If if Finisbury is, you know, it sounds like something that you're interested in, check out our review. See what you think. You might completely disagree with me as well if you check it out yourself. My broad summary is that it's really good to see um, this sort of thing happening in the Muslim space. There seems to be a lot of tech things that are happening now that are enabling Muslims and that are enabling lots of interesting choices that we just didn't have before. So it's really good to see things like Finispia popping up. You'll see in the review that there are things definitely that Finispia can work on, but I would definitely encourage you to A, check out the review, B, check out the website and, and kind of make your own mind up and see if you'd like the sound of it, then definitely go for it, inshallah. The second thing that we did this week was uh, the weekly release of our podcast. And this week's podcast was with Talha, who is the founder of an app which you might well have heard of. It's called the Quran Club. And obviously, we're in the month of Ramadan. We should all be reading lots of Quran, hopefully. Although, you know, first reminded to myself, which I've been very lax on Quran. Maybe I need to download the Quran Club app ASAP. So the Quran Club is all about using the kind of the world that we have as Muslims. And that's all been enabled by tech to be able to join us as a community and actually be able to participate in essentially a social good of participating in shared Quran reading and you can do lots of interesting things with it like share it with your friends and family participate in you know khatam of Quran together and stuff like that so it's it's really good you can share um, different portions of the Quran to read and things like that so definitely check out the podcast you'll understand a lot about the founder himself from the podcast and what his motivations were behind doing the Quran Club app and why he's done it and what the app is all about. And, you know, you might as well give it a try. You know, there's nothing to lose. There's They've had lot many hundreds of thousands of downloads, so you won't be the first one to be downloading. So definitely do give the Quran Club app a try. And the third thing, the last thing that we did this week, the latest thing I should say, is a zakat guide on investments. And we did this primarily for ourselves actually because we 
you know, alhamdulillah, as, as our lives carry on and as we get older and as we increase our assets and we diversify our portfolios into lots of different things, what we find is that zakat is a very, very tricky topic. You know, how do you deal with zakat on your workplace pension or how do you deal with zakat on the stocks and shares that you hold in your ISA or you know things like that so what we did was we compiled uh, you know research and compiled the opinion that we that we follow in house and we've come up with a really really simple guide alhamdulillah uh, hopefully it will be very very beneficial you can get that by subscribing to our mailing list or dropping us a line uh, mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com if you want a copy of it it's you know, we've designed it to be really super super simple uh, so it will discuss specifically things to do with investments so we talk about property you know what do you do with i mean everyone knows pretty much that you don't pay zakat on the own property that you have in terms of the house that you live in but what do you do about any buy to lets that you've got or what if you've got uh, an ex-wife for example who you have a house for her what do you do about the zakat on that what do you do about zakat on your pension what do you do about zakat on uh, shares uh, and what do you do about zakat on funds and things like that? And there are a number of opinions about all of this, but what we've done is compiled our view um, that we've come to, and there are multiple opinions on on all of these things. But we've we have an opinion, and we've compiled that in this guide, and we've given some really clear quite simple examples as well alhamdulillah the feedback's been really good uh, the feedback's been that you know people haven't seen this kind of thing being done before in such a concise and precise fashion so hopefully that will be of benefit of you so if you do want that just drop us a line mosin at islamicfinanceguru.com or ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com and just put in the um, put in the subject zakat guide and uh, just mention that you want it and we'll send it over inshallah so I'm going to pass over to Ibrahim and you're in for a treat because um, Ibrahim's particularly well dressed today. He's in some very dapper religious gear. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, by the way, make sure you check out the, uh, the final YouTube video because I'm sure you'll want to see Ibrahim. Ibrahim, over to you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome, everyone. Um, Mohsin, thank you very much for... I feel like you're the... Um, you know, in uh, comedy shows, you've got the guy who warms the crowd up and just gets them all <laughs> riled up. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I have the sense that you've just done that with uh, with your um, uh, crazy uh, stories about Finisphere and life, the universe, and everything. I'm, I'm basically uh, just telling our audience we're live now um, just to let everyone know uh in case they've missed it um but i think i think we're done okay so uh, we've had actually a question on uh the um youtube um from a brother who was asking about whether or not forex was halal and um the uh i suppose the answer in a nutshell is um that we view forex as not permissible and um, there's actually uh, an article that we've done on it and perhaps more soon at some point you can share it in the chat um, as we're progressing. Uh, so definitely check that out. 
But the, the, the basic reason why Forex, we, we regard it as impermissible is uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, on the retail Forex spectrum, so we're com contrasting between um, institutions who deal in currency versus us guys, retail, ordinary people who deal in Forex online, uh, you know, the adverts that you see. Uh, so we're talking specifically about retail. With institutional Forex, there's uh, certain different rules that might be applicable. Um, on the retail side of things, key reason why it's not permissible is because uh, there is uh, a leverage involved. And the way to construe it is uh, manifold. You can look at it in many ways. But the key reason why leverage uh, is not permissible is because it would look like uh, brokers are extending you alone in order for you to buy from them um, and as a result of that they get the um, the spread and so what is going on here is in essence a loan is being given and for that they're going to get back more than the loan and that's problematic now that's under one construction the other uh, problem is that you're not actually necessarily dealing directly in currencies a lot of these uh, forex uh, platforms are actually just spread betting and cfd platforms and um, we know that that's not permissible in islam and actually we're going to talk about um, some of the reasons why it's not permissible when we talk about the global financial crisis uh, and what that has to to say about everything um, and what link that has to today's tafsir as well so um, do watch out for that but yeah in a nutshell, in a nutshell forex is not permissible but do check out the um, the article for details on it I've, uh, I've put that article on now, by the way, but there are also some others. And if you click that one and then if you read that, I'm sure it will suggest some other Forex ones that we've written. And if it doesn't, then just search. Um, there's a search facility on our website and just type in Forex and it will come up, inshallah. And Jazakallah to uh, Brother Raza for his uh, compliment on the hat. Uh, there's actually a secret to this um, hat and that is, well, there's two things. One is because it's Ramadan. So I thought, you know, you have to step up the game a bit. And um, the other is that I've not um, had a haircut. So um, that's, you know, that's the secret. So there's another comment. Is there a difference of opinion that you are aware of regarding the permissibility of Forex or from your own research, you've seen all scholars, you know, view it as permissible, impermissible too. Um, I think from what I've seen, I've, I've seen a very, very tiny minority of scholars who ever said that Forex is permissible. And I think they've only said that because they have not fully um, been uh, availed of, of the, you know, the facts of the situation. Like if someone goes to a scholar who doesn't know anything about Forex and says, can I trade currency online? Um, and, you know, I, I will pay dollars and I will get back um, Swiss francs or whatever the, the case might be. The scholar who doesn't have any background in this area will say, well, yeah, that sounds fine. Um, so it's that kind of scholar, very tiny minority that I've seen who might see it as permissible. But all of the mainstream scholars that I know um, have not seen this as something that is permissible. So I would stay away. Um, okay, uh, Siraj, Jazakallah khair for your comment. Um, it seems like we're... Uh, we're going to get eventually to the tafsir, but um, this is an interesting comment. Mohsen, what are your thoughts on this as well? How can one calculate zakat for crypto assets like Bitcoin and other tokens, same like shares? This is a fascinating question. We've actually got an article on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as well and how you model them. And it comes down to essentially whether or not you're modeling them as currency or 
um, assets. Um, and uh, if, if you're modeling them as um, uh, as currency, then you know you just apply the 2.5% um, on that. Uh, if you're modeling them as assets, then it depends on how and you know why are you holding those cryptocurrency or um, uh, bitcoins? I mean, Bitcoin is very much going to be just for investment, but there could be other cryptocurrencies that have in uh, have usufruct in of themselves. So what what I mean by that is you could have cryptocurrencies or blockchain technologies where you have these tokens that might actually form uh, the uh, operations of of a business i mean i don't know what that is i'm not um uh, conversant too too much on uh blockchain and cryptocurrency um uh, as an industry but i do know that there's now a whole range of um uh, coin offerings and other kind of blockchain technologies where the token isn't just currency it's actually something much more uh, significant than that and th thinking about it from a share perspective um when a company has liquid assets that's the thing that you pay zakat on and when a company has illiquid assets i.e machinery or um uh, you know the the tools of the trade that they use to actually uh, carry out their business that is not something that you pay zakat on and so if the cryptocurrency is just being used as an investment and by and large the majority of people will be using it as such then you would pay zakat on the entire amount because that's the entire liquid amount um, whereas if, uh, as I was talking about earlier, you have certain uh, tokens or blockchain technologies where they are not um, uh, being used as investment and they're actually um, part of the business of whatever it is you're engaging in, then you wouldn't um, pay Zagat on that. Um, but yeah, in a nutshell, uh, pay Zagat on cryptocurrencies um, by and large uh, for the entire amount, 2.5%. Okay, cool. Let's uh, dive into the tafsir for today. Uh, so, inshallah, we're going to be looking today at uh, Surah Baqarah verses 219 and the start of 220. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ مَاذَا يُنْفِقُونَ قُلِ الْعَفْوَ كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ They ask you about wine and gambling. Say in them... Sorry... They ask you about wine and gambling, say in them is great sin and yet some benefit for people. But their sin is greater than their benefit. And they ask you what they should spend, say the excess. So say al-af, the, the, uh, the thing that is excess of needs and beyond needs. And thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's making clear to you the verses that you might give thought and then to this world and the hereafter. So you're giving thought to this world and the hereafter. So uh, this is a, a, a verse that is uh, uh, talking very specifically about two of the sin industries, if you want to call them that. Uh, it's talking about wine and gambling. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he isn't banning, interestingly, he isn't banning wine and gambling in this particular verse. That is actually going to happen much later on. 
or not necessarily much later on, but that's going to happen later on in a different verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he reveals uh, the verses in Surah Ma'idah where he says that um, the uh, um, the alcohol and the gambling and sab rijsum min amal shaytan are from the abominations of shaytan are from the uh, from the handiwork of shaytan and you should avoid it fajtanibuhu la'allakum tuflihun innama yuridu shaytan an yuqi'a baynakum al'adawata wal baghda'a fil khamri wal maysir wa yasuddakum an dhikrillahi wa 'anis salah fahal antum muntahun so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in this verse, Shaytan wants you to excite enmity and hatred between you with these intoxicants and gambling and hinder you from the remembrance of Allah and from as-salah. So will you not then abstain? So that is the clarification there, that this is something that is not liked. And Umar anhu, he, he was the one who actually asked for clarification. So he got these further verses that were revealed. Uh, one that was said, uh, that was saying, um, O you who believe, don't approach Salah when you are drunk. And of course, this was a stepping stone because Muslims pray five times a day. I mean, if you're drunk, you're basically going to really struggle uh, to fulfill your five daily prayers. So that was a stepping stone. And then finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he banned alcohol in its entirety. Now, in, in terms of what we want to talk about today, uh, there are really three uh, key things. The first is that um, there's a really important principle that uh, underlies the banning of alcohol and gambling. And that is when harm outweighs good, avoid it. And the second um, section to this tafsir, inshallah, will be about talking uh, around the principle of spending the excess and how we actually can give charity and perhaps how we can give charity more effectively and how we can give charity in a more impactful way. And then finally, uh, we'll talk about um, the links between the two bits of the verse as well, and um, how the ban on alcohol and gambling links to the ban uh, links to um, the teachings on charity. So let's whiz through quickly um, the, uh, the 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 background um, on on this verse. So uh, with alcohol, we we all know that um, there is actually some benefit to alcohol. So we, we see stories on, on the BBC and various newspapers regularly about how having a pint of um, whatever or a glass of wine a night or a week is actually somehow um, beneficial to some extent. And we know even anecdotally that, you know, having alcohol uh, is, is like a social lubricant. So there is some kind of basic benefit from from that we know alcohol can act as um, a antibacterial we know that people are given um, certain kinds of alcohol to bring them around you know in all old-fashioned stories you hear about how people pass out and then they're given a little bit of um, something strong to you know wake them up again so that there's all of these kind of benefits to alcohol um, and um, we know that it's it's something that brings together uh, you know non-muslim communities around alcohol so there are benefits to alcohol but then there are huge and very 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 significant harms to alcohol so uh, the majority of people that you see on a &E on the friday and saturday nights are related to alcohol um, injuries and uh, th there are so many complications wider nhs 
is suffering from because of alcohol. So it's not just the immediate uh, injuries that take place, but it's also the long-term impacts that you see from uh, you know damage to liver, liver and and all sorts of other related medical Ill, illnesses that come um, from excess consumption of alcohol. Um, in fact, Imam Shafi'i had a, has a fascinating share about this. He says, uh, So he says that there are three things that are um, the callers of um, the healthy people to sickness. So there's three things that cause people to get sick. And what are they? He says that it's the persistent and, uh, you know, becoming uh, addicted to alcohol and just uh, regularly drinking alcohol. And being obsessed and being addicted to uh, uh, sexual desires. And entering food upon food on your uh, in your belly. And that's uh, quite pertinent, I suppose, for um, for our time as well with uh, Ramadan and um, with iftar coming up. So, Mohsin, I don't want you gobbling down any uh, any more samosas than you need to. Sorry, I couldn't hear you over. Uh, I was just watching YouTube recipe videos on the side. So, uh... <laughs> fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, okay, so. Um, Let's carry on. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, uh, you know, the problem with alcohol, which is that there is a huge uh, harm there, but that there is benefit there as well. And um, wherever the harm outweighs the benefit, then that is something that uh, we should be avoiding. That isn't in itself, by the way, something that is haram. Um, so, like, you know, you can you can think of things where ultimately the harm outweighs the benefit, but the thing itself isn't made haram um so for example um you know um i would say um eating i mean mohsin can you think of any examples i was thinking of uh you know obese people and eating um ice cream for example or um you know things of that nature where there isn't um there is clearly more harm than good here but ultimately this is not something that is forbidden so yeah what well, things like um i think there might be various opinions on this but things like jumping out of a plane um you know for thrill sports kind of stuff interesting yeah yeah I, I, yeah i can i can see i can see how that could fall into that very much so um and uh, and and if you guys can think of any um then you know flag them up but um from a basic uh understanding um and a basic uh, uh you know bit of time thinking about it i couldn't think of um a huge amount but i think that there are a few where you can get the benefit to um uh, to actually be less than the harm but overall it's not actually still forbidden um, but where there is um, more harm than benefit, we certainly should be very, very careful of it, and we should uh, be avoiding it. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, this is what He says in the Quran. You could, um, you could argue that risky investments fall into this category, i.e., that they're halal. But um, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. So, so startup investing, for example, you know that you are probably going to lose your money, but yeah. one out of ten is going to do so well 
that it's going to recoup the lot. Pro you know, it, there is a possibility of that. Yeah, agreed. Now, now um, uh, let's go back to the verse itself. Yes, alunaka al khamri wal maisir kul fihima ithmun kabir. So Allah subhanahu wa taala, He is saying that in it that there is a great sin. So He doesn't actually say dharar necessarily. Um, which is, you know, the principle that we're talking about is where the harm outweighs the benefit, then that is the thing that you should be avoiding. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he actually uses specifically where the sin is greater than uh, the sin outweighs the benefit. So uh, there is a slight distinction between sin and dharar. Uh, but, uh, you know, th that, that is a distinction that we should remember that in, in the sense that alcohol and khamar are sins. Uh, and that's why, you know, independent of even if they were really, really beneficial, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is saying that, you know, they, they would be forbidden. Um, uh, having said that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is also um, making that analogy between uh, the opposites. So sin is the opposite of uh, benefit. And uh, that means that sin in itself is harmful, is it's intrinsically harmful. And um, there are two ways of analyzing that. Ultimately, you know, if we look at it from a um, holistic perspective on, on the timeline, then if we are going to uh, all die and go um, to either heaven or, heaven or hell, then on that time frame, of course, um, sin is going to be very harmful for us. But even on a shorter time frame, then uh, we can see how sinning is actually things that are actually genuinely harmful for us. So, you know, for example, having uh, having alcohol or gambling or, um, you know, engaging uh, in uh, premarital relations and uh, dealing in you know drugs, for example, all of these things are fundamentally undermining of the social fabric um, that makes a, a happy successful and um, you know prospering society and so there is that really strong link between sin and um, and uh, darar and harm and that's something that is brought out by this verse as well and then uh, gambling really is the same thing and we're going to go into into that when we talk about the story of the verse and um, maybe more so I can uh, I can call on you to talk about the global financial crisis um, and, you know, explain how, um, you know, this, this whole thing uh, came about and, uh, you know, the security, securitization bit of it. But, um, but let's, let's not do that straight away. Right now, all I want to say about gambling is, of course, the same is the case in that there is benefit to it. You, you, you will enjoy yourself. You might um, take a lot of pleasure. I mean, we've all seen the movies where people are gambling away and there's a lot. It seems like a lot of fun. Right. Um, but then ultimately, there is a really dark underbelly to this whole thing. And it is causing many, many people a lot of uh, not only financial um, distress, but also uh, mental distress, families break down, and there are really significant problems that are associated with gambling. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has uh, banned both of these things because of this very simple principle. Um, let's move now on to how this is actually practically applicable for us, because you guys might be sat there thinking, hang on a second, um, I don't drink alcohol, I don't gamble, you know, happy days. Uh, you know, I'm I am absolutely smashing this out of the park. This this is the, this verse. You know, I this is the verse that gives me the right to look at other people and think. You know, you know, you should sort yourselves out because you know I'm I'm doing it. Now, 
that's not the best approach to take with uh, the Quran full stop. Is it something that we should always be very, very um, cognizant of and careful of in that when the Quran is talking about things, we should think about how that applies to us and how we can make ourselves better. Now, um, this verse is saying, and Allah SWT is saying that in alcohol there is benefit, but the sin and the harm is worse, and so there, therefore you should avoid it. And uh, the same analysis could go for someone who is working at a bank, for example, where you've you will all have heard of people who work at a bank or work in uh, you know your your wine warehouse or uh, they work in uh, you know bet three six five or the, you you see people uh, Muslims who are uh, serving alcohol who are uh, running restaurants where they serve alcohol and their whole analysis is that well you know ultimately this is overall it's beneficial I give my sadaqa I give my zakat I go on Hajj and um, this uh, restaurant is uh, allowing me to um, employ a load of people and that benefits the community. I um, uh, I bring employment and prosperity and I uh, because of my position in society, I can influence local councillors and get things sorted on that side of things. And this is actually really beneficial. And the banker says, you know, me as a banker, I am at the hub of um, global finances and so you need Muslims involved in that and and I can really influence the way that um, Muslims are viewed in this world in, in, in this financial world and I can um, perhaps I, I, I become a role model for, for further um, people to come into this um, industry and um, you know I can provide a load of benefit uh, to Muslims by just having that intel about how one goes about financing projects and how one goes about building businesses using leverage. Now, the problem with this kind of analysis, and by the way, this will apply to pretty much any career where ultimately we all know it's haram. The ultimate problem with this analysis is that they're looking at the nafr, they're looking at the benefit and they're ignoring the sin, they're ignoring the harm. And when the, the, the benefit is this much and the harm is that much, and you're focusing on the benefit, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself and yourself alone. You're not fooling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're not fooling anyone else, quite frankly. It's just a story that we are telling ourselves about this stuff. And uh, and this verse is talking about khamar and maisir, alcohol and, uh, and gambling. But actually, this is something that is really applicable to us as well. Another um, interesting way to think about this, I was thinking, is the concept of risk and reward. So anyone who, I mean, it's a concept of, of life, but seeing as this is a business-focused tafsir, you can apply that to investing as well. So risk and reward is something we all think about when we invest, right? So when we invest in like a property, for example, you'll say, okay, what's the potential risk here? Well, in a property, it's very minimal risk and the reward uh, tends to be relatively decent. So you think, okay, good, that sounds interesting, sounds good, I'm going to go for that. And then on the flip side, you've got things like, um, you know, really uh, what they call penny shares, for example, very, very risky, um, but the reward is potentially very, very high. Now, the chances of you getting that reward and the chances of you picking the right um stock in that sphere because the vast majority of them are uh, duds then you are basically 
your risk reward ratio is is out of sync because you're taking on a lot of risk and the reward that you're going to get if it's right is very high but the chance of the of it being right are very very low so actually you're taking on a lot of risk and this in a way speaks to this verse where you know you've got some potential good in it but the harm probably outweighs the good depending on the approach that you're taking so a lot of people take a quite sporadic approach to this sort of thing so i'm not talking about um people that are kind of well researched and doing it in a very reasoned way but um you know trading stocks is another example where people willy-nilly just kind of like buy something on a whim and there the harm outweighs the good it seems to me yeah and i I think that's true and i think there's maybe maybe not right now but there is something um, to be perhaps covered by IFG about, um, you know, comparing people who, you know, even do gambling, essentially spread betting in a very sophisticated way, where due to the law of averages and the way they've set up their models, they actually ultimately are um, profitable, net profitable on this, um, uh, on these platforms. Uh, and I actually have a friend who makes computer, uh, computer, um, uh, models that people can use to trade. Uh, there's this syndicate that used to trade this um, um, with like, spread betting and uh, online gambling, and this uh, computer software enables them to actually uh, make a lot of profit. But ultimately, this is still impermissible because, uh, and this goes um, to uh, the second reason why gambling is impermissible. So uh, gambling is impermissible, of course, because of this reason, that is uh, the benefit will um, will be less than the harm because the harm will always be greater with gambling. Um, but as we said in, in the start, that principle alone is not the reason why things become haram. Uh, there is a second reason why gambling is haram, and that is that it's a zero-sum game. Someone ends up losing in gambling. Uh, and the other problem here is that it's not really um, a contract where you're having an exchange over an item what is going on here is that you're betting someone um, that you know this horse is going to win um, and as a result of that you're going to give me 10 pounds for my one pound that I bet and what you're trading here is the chance of that horse winning and that is not something that is tangible and it's not something that is certain it's not something that um you know is very uh, is very concrete or um fixed until the point when the horse actually wins or loses the race so it's something um that the sharia does not like at all because of the uncertainty around it and and because of the problems with um with the underlying asset not being uh, not being a tangible asset so uh, but yeah without going too much into into that side of things um, that's another reason why um, gambling would be impermissible. Uh, I want to talk about quickly about Hajj uh, and uh, why I think possibly there is um, something to be said about applying this principle to Hajj uh, as well. So with with Hajj, we, we know that millions of people go to Hajj every year, uh, maybe about five, six million people. I might be wrong. Mohsen, correct me if that sounds off to you. And yeah, you can you say something? I think it probably sounds about right. I think uh, it might be about four-ish million to be right. fair. But yeah, it's not wildly off. Yeah, so it's might not be, like it might be more now. 
Yeah, let's say five, six million. I mean, it, that goes um, against my, uh, that goes for my argument and it's still. So five, six million people are doing Hajj every year and there's 1.2 billion Muslims in the world that need to do Hajj. And uh, of course, a lot of them will have either done Hajj or they won't have the money that makes Hajj uh, obligatory upon them. But every year, Hajj is massively oversubscribed. And there's also a massive climate change impact when someone flies across and does Hajj and spends money and you know all, all of the waste that's created as a result of that. Um, so there's two harms there. There's the climate change harm and there's the, the, the point that you are potentially taking up the space of someone else um, who actually needs to do Hajj. And so um, there could be an analysis made here where you say that actually going on Hajj for someone who's already done Hajj may actually be uh, more harmful than beneficial in some ways. Now, I'm not going to be making a definitive statement here, by the way. I'm not saying you know, don't go on Hajj if you've already been on Hajj. Uh, I know there are um, scholars um, who have actually passed verdicts along those lines. Um, and I, I actually think that that is a very sensible and reasonable position to hold. Uh, but I don't want to say uh, you know, emphatically that you shouldn't go on a second Hajj um, if, uh, you know, if that's absolutely something that you really want to do. But I would say that, you know, I wouldn't do that. I, I think that ultimately there's, there's too much harm for, for me in my head um, to be able to make that decision. The other uh, interesting point on the Hajj thing is that the, my understanding is that the Saudi government have now introduced a tax or a levy or an additional charge. If you've been on Hajj or Umrah in the last, I'm not sure, but I think it might be like five or ten years or whatever, right. then you have to pay an additional charge when you get your visa. And I think for Umrah, I heard recently that somebody went and had to pay, I think it was just over £400 additional. Um, so interesting that the Saudi government are now kind of trying to really introduce that disincentive, financial disincentive yeah. uh, that goes to that point, really. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense then. I mean, that's uh, the fact that they're doing it and they actually have access to the data suggests that they know how how under stress the whole system is as a result of that. Um, I want to uh, wrap up the uh, talking about gambling and alcohol by really focusing on the gambling side of things and um, thinking about the global financial crisis. Because ultimately, uh, you know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he bans things he says don't do it there really is a deep wisdom here there really is and the global financial crisis was this wisdom writ large in that if we rewind back to 2007 2008 and we think about the origins of the global financial crisis this global financial crisis was ultimately caused by um, people uh, lending out mortgages to people who should not have had those mortgages and then taking those mortgages packaging them up uh, slicing them up and selling them on to um, various banks um, who would then uh, potentially slice them up even further package them up into various other products uh, and then sell them on further until eventually these mortgages were found um, you know with with investors globally so um you know it might have been a mortgage given in wisconsin in the usa but someone in germany or tokyo was holding it 
And so let's talk about the benefits that came from it, from this whole operation. The benefit was someone got um, a house out of it. Uh, the benefit was that when the sales of these um, mortgages took place, someone got a profit. Many people got a profit out of it. It helped the economy grow for at least for that time period because people were like, you know, this is this is a gravy train and it's never going to end. There was a benefit to securitization in that the risk of holding that mortgage was spread between lots of different people. Um, there was, uh, you know, the benefit of the economy as a whole growing as a result of this activity. So this was absolutely fantastic. But the problem was there was a great harm and uh, people had not been focusing on that harm. And the harm was that there was a huge amount of uncertainty attached to this whole uh, operation. The people that they were lending to should not have been getting those loans because they were people who um, were extremely high risk uh, individuals in terms of um, you know their credit history. There was a massive risk of contagion. So when you uh, spread the risk between everyone and uh, something, you know, one of the dominoes falls early on down the chain that has a massive impact on the rest of the chain as well. So when that Wisconsin uh, individual defaulted on his mortgage, uh, the guy in Tokyo and the guy in Germany and the guy in the UK, all of them felt the, um, the effects of that. And as a result of this, the, you know, the, as a result of the debts going bad, the entire financial system was, was essentially teetering at an edge. Uh, the USA literally spent trillions rescuing their financial system. They, uh, you know, they bailed out uh, Freddie Mae, uh, uh, Fannie Mac, I think they're called. Uh, they bailed out Bear Stearns, um, but I think that ultimately collapsed or, or merged. Lehman Brothers was allowed to collapse. Uh, Goldman Sachs had to have a massive cash injection in order to stay afloat. Uh, it, it is now coming out actually that the Federal Reserve um, opened up a supply a, a credit line to a whole bunch of uh, global investors um, in order to keep um, you know the markets cool uh, and in, in order to keep um, people from uh, you know over overreacting and uh, from market turmoil and they actually loaned out in the tune of literally hundreds of billions of um, of dollars. Uh, in order to um, you know maintain all of this stuff, and uh, that's not to say anything about the you know the harm of a, a decade of lost growth as a result of this, and the rise of the far right and Donald Trump and all of the you know the right wing that we've seen rising, the austerity in the UK. All of this is linking back to this problem um, that we highlighted at the start, which is the problem of securitization and dealing in derivatives, and that comes back down to. Um, uh, you know the, the verse itself about gambling. The other thing to um, add here is that if you know viewers or listeners are interested in the origins of the financial crisis and the kind of story behind all of that, there is a really good book, and it got made into a film actually, which many of you might have seen, called The Big Short. So definitely recommend uh, giving that a read or a watch. Obviously, not in Ramadan. <laughs> but um, yeah, it follows basically people that were predicting that this was all a bubble and it was going to crash. And, you know, it, it really goes into the reasons why it all crashed. And it's really helpful from a non 
kind of economist or non-specialist point of view to really understand what was going on and how people were, you know, on that gravy train, as Ibrahim put it. But there were some other people that were kind of predicting and seeing objectively that this was a gravy train that was going to end. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and, and, and sadly, it did end. And uh, we're all uh, facing, uh, you know, the results of that. Uh, I, I genuinely think that, you know, because we're talking about what could have been, uh, we don't, we will never really know. But we have, we as a, uh, as a human race have suffered as a result of, um, you know, the, the global financial crisis, the austerity, uh, the credit crunch, the job losses, uh, the tightening, the fiscal tightening, the tightening of the social security benefits that people get, the increase in um, uh, the the burden the taxpayer had to pay as a result of the uh, the financial system. These are real tangible benefits, uh, tangible harms that came as a result of um, these actions. Let's now talk about uh, the second part of this verse, uh, which which is um, uh, talking about charity. So uh, the the people they ask, They ask, what should they be spending? And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He says, spend from the excess, spend from what is in excess of your needs. So Al Hakam said that uh, Miksam said that Ibn Abbas said that this ayah means that whatever you can spare above the needs of your family uh, is what is being got to here. So whatever is above the needs of your family, that is the thing that you should be spending from. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you spend the entire amount, uh, but you may well do if you want to do that. Um, and um, Abu Huraira said that a man said, O Messenger of Allah, I have a dinar. And the Prophet said, spend it uh, you, on yourself. And he said, I have another dinar. And he, spe and he said, spend it on your wife. And he said, I have another dinar. And he said, spend it on your offspring. And he said, I have another dinar. This man had a lot of single dinars. And he said, you have better knowledge uh, about this, meaning how and where you know you should spend this in charity. So this is in Muslim. And this is a nice uh, hadith that kind of outlines our list of priorities when it comes to spending. So the first thing we should be spending on is ourselves um, and uh, making sure that we are you know, are, are healthy and, um, you know, adequately uh, clothed, etc. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that spend it on your family. And then he says, spend it on your offspring. Uh, so your wife and then your offspring. And then he says, spend it on other people after that. So there is a gradation here um, that we should be respecting when we spend. Often what happens is that we as a community um, are... are pulled in um, by you know the adverts and pulled in by the social discourse around us and we skip over ourselves we skip over well we to be honest we don't really skip over ourselves um, we skip over our families our extended families um, our children and we go straight to um, a well in Africa or the Far East or where, wherever it might be and this is actually not uh, in my view, uh, being true to uh, the you know the the uh, the order of priority when it comes to charity uh, that uh, Islam has set out, and we should be very cognizant of that. 
and very aware of that. We have people uh, who give a huge amount to charity and yet their um, close family or extended family are living in poverty. That just doesn't make any sense because you're going to be responsible and asked about your family and your and your close ones uh, before anyone else on the day of judgment and so you should be priority prioritizing that as much as you possibly can and now uh, Mohsen I want to talk about um, how we can potentially uh, spend on the Muslim community helping the Muslim community uh, but in a more efficient and impactful way uh, and you know I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on on this as well about how we can you know be more strategic about giving our charity and and I was I was thinking about this and, and I'm just going to think aloud here because uh, you know my thoughts on this are not entirely formed but I think this is a nice forum to discuss this and that's that if you if you give charity let's say you give a thousand pounds and you give that over to the charity and then that charity spends it on um, a well in Africa and approximately 70, 70 pounds of your thousand pounds will actually get to that well in Africa. The rest will be spent in actually getting the money over and the logistics, etc. Now, if you had spent that one thousand pounds on uh, investing, for example, in a, in a Muslim uh, business in the UK uh, and you got money from that you got regular money as a result of that and you c continued reinvesting that uh that money into this muslim business for example and this muslim business grew and uh and this muslim business hires uh other muslims it serves the needs of the wider community it doesn't necessarily just you know it's not a muslim business based in spark hill or ilford lane and it just serves the Muslim community. It could be an outward facing business itself. Uh, and that itself has a good da'wah impact, right? So if you've got a really uh, welcoming, uh, I don't know, takeaway owner who uh, is also obviously a very practicing Muslim, then that has a really uh, big impact on that local community. Uh, or or if, he, if he, for example, is set up in an area where there's lots of non-Muslims, where they're interacting with him day to day. And so you've got that whole uh, impact side of things as well. And then eventually this individual, he sells his stake in this business and he reaps back, let's say 5,000 pounds. And all of the income that he's come, uh, that he's got at the same time as well is wrapped into this 5,000 pounds. And then he deploys that again uh, into um, another two or three businesses. And he continues doing that. So in other words, what I'm getting at here is that his money for charity, which was a thousand pounds, was uh, has been consistently deployed um, within the Muslim community. Now, that money is ultimately his. Right. That money is ultimately his uh, ownership. And the thing with giving charity is that money is no longer yours. That money becomes the, the property of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now. If this person ultimately then writes a will and bequeaths um, his uh, whatever earnings he makes from this donation pot of his, let's say it mushrooms from five thousand to twenty thousand over the life over the course of his lifetime, and he bequeaths all of this to uh, charity, uh, let's say he bequeaths it to a trust, a waqf, 
that is set up to help uh, deal with social issues in the Muslim community, help deal with uh, encouraging entrepreneurship in the Muslim community, help deal with uh, you know the really poor people in the Muslim community, uh, and a whole host of other um, you know academia research. Uh, so there, there's this walk that's been set up, and ultimately his uh, bequeathal uh, upon his death is going to this uh, to this walk. I, I to my mind, I think this is just so much more impactful so much more impactful than just giving um a thousand pound in charity am i missing something here Mohsin? i think that that makes a lot of sense and i was thinking as you were talking that uh, this there's two things i was thinking about one is that we should you talked before about the kind of order of priority and you talked about ourselves our family our extended family and when we think about charity we think a lot about poverty for obvious reasons we, we, you know, we are kind of conditioned to think that way and you know this isn't by the way in any way kind of disparaging that whole effort that is a really really important effort to help people that are very very poor in continents like africa and so on but thinking about that family angle one of the things that uh, you know you, you'll know this ibrahim from conversations that we've had but one of the things that i really want to do for my kids for example is when they're about i don't know 10 12 14 whatever it is depending on the abilities that they're showing and it's up to us to kind of recognize that is to actually back them with money and be able to really propel them to do something that's going to be impactful and important so for example using your business analogy if i knew that one of my children was demonstrating you know some good entrepreneurial traits you know it, it it would be incumbent upon me, I think, to back them with, I don't know, 10 grand and say, I don't know, do something online or offline or whatever it is and help them. And hopefully that mushrooms into something. So that's one thing. The other thing that I was thinking about was we should be actively looking at and, and getting out there and networking so that we understand what sort what sorts of projects people are doing out there in our local community because only then will we actually appreciate what there is within our vicinity that we can donate money to that are good causes and there's a good example of this there was listening to the um the Ilmfeed podcast which is a really good podcast by the way which i recommend that all our all our audience listens to and one of the recent ones at, at the time of recording this um was one with sheikh hassan ali and he's got um, his uh, Suffer Academy in, in London. And as part of that, he has designed some uh, a series of books. And the books are designed to kind of plug in the gaps between, you know, what you get taught at home and what you get taught in the madrasa by, by you know, teachers and so on. And it's designed to be a kind of really fun, engaging way of educating children, not just educating children, actually. Uh, I'm told, well, he mentioned in the podcast that some adults have learned from these books as well. And, you know, charitable projects like that are, in my opinion, just as deserving, if not more deserving, of our money than just sending it off to some, you know, faceless organization that, yes, they may do some really good work, but I just feel that we need to just take a bit more um, of an effort to understand what's going on around us so that we can actually understand what impact we can have through our money. Completely agree with that. Completely agree. I'm actually working on um, an article at the moment that I want to, inshallah, release at some point. And 
uh, and I, my thoughts on this are not fully set, but it just seems to me that uh, there are there are people who have money, i.e., us individuals, and then there are ways that we can deploy that money. So this is the other side. So people who have money and people essentially that need money are ways that we can deploy that money. And there are various intermediaries that sit in the middle between the two things that can arbitrate or that can funnel the money from one to the other. Now, in the economy at large, we have uh, primarily financial institutions who, um, who uh, serve that purpose. So you have insurers, you have banks, uh, they will take your money and then they will invest that money or they will deploy that money elsewhere. And then you also have charities uh, and you have the government as well. So all of these people take money and then they deploy it using their uh, measurements. Now, out of all of those options, we as a Muslim community, we are spending uh, approximately anywhere between 600 million to a billion pounds a year uh, on charity. That's how much we're giving in charity. I mean, that's that's a phenomenal amount of money. In Ramadan alone, 100 million will be raised for charity uh, in the UK. Uh, that, it's, that's a crazy statistic, uh, if we think about it. About 400 pounds will be given by each person uh, annually. Uh, and that adds up to like 38 pounds per, I think, minute it was that it came to. So these are huge numbers that the Muslim community is giving to charity. But out of this range of people that can intermediate between money and people who need money, charity, quite frankly, is and, char and charities, quite frankly, are possibly the least efficient uh, and least, um, uh, I would say, uh, yeah, least efficient uh, way of, of doing that because uh, there is no, uh, obviously, profit motive and there's no real oversight. So the last time that you gave that five pound in the in the mosque bucket or uh, in Liverpool Street when you know you gave some money into the um, into the collection bucket, when was the last time you then followed up and checked out uh, the Mary Curie website and saw you know where that one pound had got to? How do you even know that that person was even collecting for Mary Curie? I'm sure they were, right? I'm sure they were, and I'm sure that it went to good. But there is that lack of oversight there with the charity. And that isn't the case with the other bunch of options that you have to funnel your money through and, uh, and, give, it, um, and give it to you know, the, the causes that are needed. Now, all of this, by the way, is not for me to say that you shouldn't give charity. I think that there's two things that I'm kind of coming down upon. And one is that I think charities just need to really think a lot more carefully about uh, the impact they want to have and the impact that they want to have locally in the UK as well. And of course, you know, we uh, we know that NZF, National Zagard Foundation, are a fantastic organization who do spend money locally. Uh, so, you know, we, we really like them as a result of that. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is that we as a community need to think about uh, creating institutions like Awqaf and other, uh, you know, charitable trusts that not just, uh, you know, help people abroad, but also are very strategic and very uh, overarching in their vision for the, the needs of the Muslim community right here, right now. It just boggles my mind sometimes that uh, we give so much money abroad 
um, to these chari to, to charities that are sending it abroad. And yet, um, organisations that are fighting against Islamophobia, discrimination, uh, that are helping uh, refugees settle in the UK, that are helping um, victims of uh, you know domestic violence and sexual violence in the UK, are struggling here in the UK. Um, and, and all of that money is unfortunately going abroad. And it just seems to me that that's, that there's a misallocation going on. Uh, and, and let me just again reiterate that I'm not saying do not give charity abroad. I mean, I do that myself still. Um, what I'm saying is that we just need to uh, finesse uh, the way we do that and um, the, the amount that we allocate, uh, that we allocate abroad. Um, so I think, I think that really is, um, is us done for the day, Mohsin, unless you have um, any other thoughts or any uh, ideas to, sh to share with people? No, not really. Just um, I just wanted to share one point, actually, which was that, um, speaking of kind of local projects, I'm aware of one project locally that um, helps. It's a, it's a Muslim guy that kind of leads it, um, and it deals with homelessness basically not not kind of muslim focus but i heard recently that um as a result of his kind of efforts and, and stuff like that he's actually got a team of people working with him now that are not muslims as a whole so there are you know there are hindus there are christians there are you know atheists or whatever and i was thinking actually what a what an amazing way of of giving dawah just you know actually heading up an organization doing something about a problem which we all know about homelessness is a is a real problem now in the uk and leading a team behind you that isn't fully muslim what what an impactful way of giving that word. i mean there, there will be uh there'll be people in that team that are hindu christian whatever that probably have not had an interaction with a muslim before you know at close quarters and if you're being led by a Muslim that's doing such inspiring work, of course your perception of Islam is going to be a positive one. There's there's just no two ways about it. So I just wanted to share that as an example of a, of a project that I'm aware of. And you know what? There'll be there'll be loads of that going on around the UK, and we should absolutely be you know plugged in locally so that we first of all that we know about these projects, and secondly support them in any way you can. If it's not money, then time or your expertise no i agree jazakallah and that that last point that you just made about time i think that's so actually really um important uh in that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he he says that uh you know i have uh allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says that he's bought from the believers themselves and their wealth uh, uh, and, and for them there is jannah and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he's making the distinction between just wealth and also ourselves, our efforts, our bodies, our time, uh, you know, or, and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this context, he's talking about, you know, actually fighting and, um, you know, fighting for the truth and for um, uh, in self-defense or for peace, etc. And in our context, this looks like us uh, investing our time and effort um, in into these uh, ventures. And it means that we are uh, we need to be super uh, efficient and impactful about the way we are deploying our time. Because if we are deploying our time as a charitable means as well, then either we can deploy our time doing something that has 20% impact, or we can deploy our time doing something that has 60% impact. 
And if I asked you, you know, which of the two I should choose, then when I put it this way, you know, all, all say that we should always go for the 60% impact. And yet we often in our day-to-day -day lives, when we are even giving our charitable time, our time, you know, fi sabilillah, we are spending it doing the 20%. And that is really due to one key reason. And that is that we are not thoughtful about our, our religion. We're not thoughtful about our uh, practice and we're not thoughtful about how we are going to maximize our ajr and so if there's one action point that i you know i want to leave us all with um it is that it is that we should be super thoughtful about where we give to how we give and uh, and the time that we give as well all of these things need to come together and then the one other um, action point that i wanted to share is that going back to the point about harm outweighing the benefit there will be things in our life that we justify it to ourselves as something that you know is fine for us to do because there's some benefit to it but we know deep down that actually really it is harmful for us and so it is that thing that i want us to reflect upon and to try and change and to really try and be honest with ourselves about so that we can um so that we can put uh you know things in the right order uh, and make sure that where there is harm we avoid it uh unless there's any questions or more so unless you've got any other um thoughts then uh jazakallah brother siraj for pointing out the national Zagat foundation is one that does it for locally for uk um that you know completely agreed with that that's why we we really like national Zagat foundation i'll just give a few moments if there's any other questions or comments uh we've we, we've had some oh there's a question um so with accountancy and auditing as a career uh it's um with accountancy and auditing your um your auditing and uh, reviewing um, the financials of companies post fact so this is after the fact that interest has been dealt with or um, you know they've uh, engaged in some kind of haram activity and what you're providing is a service and you're providing a service uh, that is intrinsically not haram and that is a service of accounting and just preparing their books in order to be submitted to HMRC or to the regulators or wherever they might be submitting it. So that really, in a nutshell, is uh, is the reasoning for why you know accounting would be permissible and auditing would be permissible. However, it, it, you know there are, as as you've rightly pointed out, a plethora of views on this. Um, this is uh, our approach to to the issue. Now, that, in, that is in contrast, for example, to um, a banking lawyer where the banking lawyer will actually be drafting up and uh, helping execute and bring about the, the loan-based transaction. That, to my mind, would not be permissible. So... I think on that um, on that note, 
perhaps we should uh, wrap up unless Mosin, you have anything else final final words to add no nothing to add i've just um i'm just reflecting on your action points and and thinking about how i might bring them into my life so i've got some got some deep thinking to do inshallah allahu akbar well as i'm glad that i've um, got you um uh, away from the recipe videos uh, at least All right. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair and everyone for tuning in. Um, and uh, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, then please do um, feel free to do that and share. You know, if you found this beneficial, then do please feel free to share this with um, your friends and family.